found Leviticus chapter 6. Would you stand one last time in the honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm going to read to you verses 8 through 13 this morning. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8. The Bible says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers, and he shall put on his body, and, and he shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garment, put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Let us pray. Father, this morning we love You. And God, we are honored to be called by Your name. God, we are honored with the privilege. And it is that, a privilege, Father, to come together to worship You, Father. It is not a duty. God, we do not come uh, drudgingly this morning, but we come, Father, with open hearts, with open minds, with open hands, to worship You, Father. And God, our desire is that You would move here this morning in our midst, Lord. And I have already sensed Your presence, God, as we've worshipped You in song. But now, God, before these people, Lord, I pray that You would anoint me to preach, Father, not with man's wisdom, God, not out of my mind and not even out of my heart, but, Lord, out of the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost of God. Lord, I pray that You would also anoint our ears that we might hear, our eyes that we might see, and our hearts this morning that we might understand Your Word and receive it, with gladness, Lord. I pray, God, that You would open the eyes of sinners this morning that need salvation. And, God, they would see You with open arms this morning, begging them to come. God, I pray this morning they would respond and be saved. Father, we'll be very careful to praise You only, for You alone, God, are the giver of every good gift. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Before I get to my main points this morning... I want to give you some very brief background uh, about this particular text. Um, God had just recently led the people out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea. If you're familiar with the Red Sea story, let me see a show of hands. Well, this has just happened, the text that we've come into after God has taken this nation as a whole, He has led them out into their own land. And in essence, He is setting up for them a system of government that is honored by God Himself. In Exodus, we see the glory of God fill the tabernacle in the end of Exodus. And in Leviticus, God begins to give instructions about how to approach Him. Moses gives us information in the very first five chapters of Leviticus about the offerings. 
Let me tell you about the offerings. I'll be brief this morning, but I do want us to understand the text before I just start preaching on the fire. There were five main offerings that God had uh, instituted. There was the burnt offering, which is what our text specifically deals with. The burnt offering was a special offering argued by many to be the most important because it meant that you were going above and beyond what was traditionally asked. It was more than a sin offering, more than a guilt offering, more than a grain offering. It was an offering of dedication, dedicating yourself to God through a blood sacrifice. That was the burnt offering. There was the grain offering that you would bring and that would show that you honored God with your possessions and your substance and the first fruit of your animals and your crops, trusting in Him to provide your needs. There was the sin offering. And the sin offering was given to God to atone for unintentional sins, acts of disobedience when you were made aware of them. There was the guilt offering for which was given to God to atone for sins committed against people and or God. And then there was the peace or the fellowship offering. And it was given to God and shared with priests and worshipers celebrating their renewed relationship with God. Now God had told the people that these are the main offerings that I want you to bring to me in this newly set up tabernacle that my glory has fallen upon. I have made it clear this is where my presence dwells. I have made it clear this is where you can meet with me. And I have also made it clear, here is what I expect you to bring for certain things at certain times that you might be uh, atoned for and that you might come to me freely. And then, in Leviticus chapter 6, in our text, God deals with the priests concerning how they are to handle the offerings of the people. In our text this morning, we have literally jumped right into the pages of the start of the nation of Israel as a whole. When God gives them the law, when God tells them how to worship, when God tells them how to perform their sacrifices, when God teaches the priests how to handle the sacrifices, we are at the very beginning stages of what we could call the nation of Israel. And now He deals with the priests and how they handle the burnt offering. In Malachi chapter 5, God rebuked the priests for not doing their jobs. What was the job of the priests? They were to serve God with reverence. They were to instruct people about God. And they were to live a pleasing life and a holy life in front of God. In other words, in the most simplest way to say it, the priests were given by God as God's messengers to communicate and model truth to God's people. Now, we also know the Bible tells us in the New Testament concerning all the things. Just follow me. I'm going to preach for a moment. If you came to hear me preach this morning, I'm going to preach. But I want to make, I don't want to just get into this passage without laying down the proper foundation. 
because you'll misunderstand me. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that all the, the, uh, the sacrifices and the ceremonies of the Old Testament were written as a shadow and a type of Christ. They taught us something about Christ. They taught us something about the coming Messiah. And we also know that in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible says you also, that being believers in Christ, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you, that being you that are born of God this morning, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Now, it was here in Leviticus that God has always meant for each one of His people to act as a priest. We need to live holy. We need to be righteous. We need to be instruments of truth to the rest of the people in our world. We need to be people that not only speak what is true with our mouth, but we live it with our lives. We need to be intercessors. The priests were intercessors during this period of time that could go to God on behalf of the people. And we as God's people need to be able to do the same for our own family, for our friends, and for our nation. Now, I'm almost done teaching this morning. I'm going to preach here in just a moment. I want you to get a picture for a moment of what the sacrifice looked like, this particular burnt offering. Again, the burnt offering was a person's main sacrifice to God. And what would happen is the worshiper, that would be you or I, would bring our main sacrifice to the church, the tabernacle. And it was the priest's job to examine what we brought. He would make sure it was without blemish. He would make sure that it was healthy. He would make sure that to the best of his discernment, that what you brought was the best that you had. It was unblemished and it was ready and appropriate to be offered to God. He would make sure that the people brought the appropriate animal in accordance with their income. And after the priest would examine your sacrifice and say, this sacrifice is worthy, you would sacrifice it. You would lay your hand on the animal's head. I know this is graphic. You would take the knife and you would cut its throat and you would slaughter your own animal. This happened all day long. 365 days a year. Do you realize how bloody the tabernacle was? It's a lot different than what we think of when we think of church. And it was a picture teaching us that you cannot come to God but through the blood. It was a picture showing us of what was to come. And when we think of all the animals slaughtered and all the blood that was shed in the tabernacle, of all the things, every drop of blood that came down those steps, it points forward to the day when Jesus would bleed and die on Calvary's cross and His blood would drip from His hands and from His feet and from His side as He was paying the atonement for our sins. The worshiper would sacrifice it. 
And then the priest would take the blood and sprinkle it on the sides of the altar. And while the priest was doing this, the worshiper would cut the animal up into pieces. And once the animal was cut into pieces, then the priest would take the wood, arrange it on the altar, and take the pieces and put it, take the pieces of the animal, place it on the wood. So that the whole thing would be burned up to God. That's what the process looked like. I say that briefly to say this. Sometimes we think we offer God so much when we show up for an hour a week, raise a hand to God and put a little bit of money in the offering plate. Remember this morning. Remember. Remember. We have been made a royal priesthood. And I'm going to do my best to explain to you what that looks like in our lives today. And that this doesn't mean we need to turn back to all these old sacrifices and old way of, of, of doing things. But how they did them should teach us something about what God expects out of us. Amen. Hallelujah. Now back to our text. Three times in verses 8 through 13... God emphasizes to the priest that the fire must never go out. It must continually burn. The burnt offering was even meant to burn all night long on the altar. Why? There is no question that the majority of offerings took place during the day. Yet the fire was meant to burn continuously even through the night. Why? Why didn't they start it up early in the morning, an hour before the sun come up, and allow it to, to burn out at the end of the night and start it over the next morning? Why was God so concerned that these priests stayed up all night long and tended the fire and then they kept it burning all the way through the day? God gives the instructions for the fire. I want to tell you this morning that for the fire to be burning always, this meant some other things were also always going on. Why did the fire have to burn continually? Now I want to preach. First of all, from God's point of view, let us remember that it was God who demanded that it work this way. It wasn't the priest's idea. It wasn't the people's idea. It was God's idea that the fire burned continually. I want to say, first of all, that it teaches us a message. That in order to come to God, in order to present ourselves to God, in order to be used by God, in order to do anything with Him, for Him, speak to Him, period, there must always be continually every second of every moment, of every hour, of every day, of every year of your life, there must be an atonement that allows us to approach Him. In other words, God is unapproachable without the atonement. God's desire was that non-stop for this nation of Israel, there was flames and there was a smoke that ascended into heaven, symbolizing there was sacrifice taking place that God might have mercy. Can I tell you this morning, we still need sacrifice. And our sacrifice is in Jesus Christ. He's paid the cost. 
He's finished it. It was done on the cross. But we still need the atoning work of the blood. And every time I come to God, it must be on the grounds of the blood and the blood alone. Not of what I've done. Not because I'm a great person. Not because I did this much or this little. But because the shed blood of Jesus Christ has covered me. And I can come to Him, whether it's at the midnight hour, whether it's at 4 o'clock in the morning, whether it's at 3 o'clock in the day, I can come to Him every time immediately because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There needs to be an atonement. And it needs to be 24-7. There is never a period in your life when you can come to God anyway except through the blood. God's desire was that this fire burn continually. We need atonement. We need mercy. We need grace. And we need forgiveness continually. I also see in this God's desire is that there never be a break in our relationship. That there is no distance between us. God's desire is that when He pursues a relationship with us, that there is no break. That it's not for six hours a day, eight hours a day, ten hours a day, but that God's desire is that once we've been atoned for, that we come into a continuous relationship with Him where we're continually growing in our knowledge and our grace of Him. And I know Him more tomorrow than I know Him today. I know Him more next year than I knew Him the year before because His desire is that He knows us continually. You know, God wants to be in a relationship with you every moment of every day. There are many people whose relationship with God. Notice I use the word relationship, not belief. Whose relationship with God consists of very little except Sunday. There are many people who spend very little time throughout the week coming to Him, pursuing Him, listening to Him, seeking Him, opening up the Word, going to Him in prayer. But can I tell you this morning that because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, His desire is that our relationship goes well beyond simply Sunday. His desire is that I can approach Him anytime, every day. And not only that I can, but that I do. What about from the people of the land? What about from their point of view? They also see that God is always accessible. No matter what time of day anyone looked toward the tabernacle, they would see the smoke ascending into the heavens. They would know that there was something burning on the altar. The continual burning of the offering was a reminder that God was always there, ready to accept sacrifice. It was a visible reminder to the people that their God was omnipresent. He was always there. He is omnipowerful. He is forgiving. He is merciful. He is always with you. Anywhere they looked. It didn't matter if they were to the north, the south, the east, or the west. When they would turn and they would look to the tabernacle at any hour of the day, they would see the smoke ascending into the heavens. And it would remind them that their God is accessible. 
Can I tell you that we don't have a fire to look to anymore? We don't have a place that we can look to and, and see smoke descending from the tabernacle. But all that we have to do is turn around and look back a few thousand years to the cross and be reminded that our sins were paid for. When I'm having a bad day and I know that I've fallen right on my face and I know that I need atonement and I know that I need forgiveness, I don't need to look inward. I just need to turn back and look to the cross and know that continually from this moment on, every sin I've ever committed, every sin that I ever will commit, it was atoned through by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and I can come to Him this morning in full assurance that He'll accept me as I am because my sins have been paid for. The fire needed to burn continually though in order for that smoke to ascend. The fire needed to be kept up continually. Otherwise one might look and see no smoke. And I tell you that when the fire doesn't burn in us, one might look to us and see no cross. We are meant to be priests. Now, I want to deal primarily this morning from the viewpoint of the priests. Because this is where it really deals with you and I. We also know that not only... Does the Bible say that we have been made a royal priesthood? We also know the Bible teaches us that you are the tabernacle of God. That you house the Spirit of God. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're a born-again believer, you house the Holy Spirit. So my body is a tabernacle. And I also am a priest. I shared with a, a great friend of mine last night. He called me and said, how are you doing on your sermon? I said, well, I don't really know. I'm not sure I'm ready to preach it. I know everything is running through here, but I don't know how to put it into words. But I'll do my best. We have a responsibility to keep the fire burning. The fire no longer burns on the altar in the tabernacle, but it burns in my heart. Jesus came to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. There's still a need for fire in the church. Before I preach on fire, from the viewpoint, the viewpoint of the priest, I want you to notice, first of all, though these priests have the responsibility of keeping the flame going, sounds like a great thing, and it is a great thing. Well, let's look at the humility of it first. The humble duty of tending to the fire and the ashes. The humble duty of taking out what was burned and getting rid of the trash and, and dealing with the mess of ashes. Ashes are a messy thing. I've got a fireplace in my house and we burn real wood when it's cold. Ashes make a mess. Especially when you spill them in the carpet. They are a messy thing. Cleaning them up is no simple task. And think about the continual burning. There were a lot of ashes. We're not talking Joplin's small little fireplace that he burns five or six times a year. 
We're talking continual wood burning all day long. Bones of animals and fire and flames that is big enough, large enough, and hot enough to consume an entire carcass and cause it to go up in smoke into the air and eventually everything is ashes over and over and over and over again every day. And I tell you, tending to those ashes is no small task. It is a mess. They got dirty. They had to change clothes in between the, 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 the different uh, uh, things that they were doing. And I tell you this morning, I'm just going to try to be simple about it from here on out. I'm not going to teach much more. I'm just going to preach you the simple truth of this message here. Sometimes it's not easy being a Christian. And keeping the flame going, living a life that's on fire for God, that does something for God, it does take some work. It's not always easy. And the reason that most people's flame flickers down and the reason that most people's flame burns out, it's not because the preacher don't preach good enough. It's not because the singers don't sing good enough. It's not because there's no Bible for them to read, no time for them to pray. It's because they're lazy and they don't like the hard work that it takes to be dedicated to getting the answers out, to be in the Word, to be praying, to show up when you don't feel like showing up, and doing the things that God asks you to do. It takes work. Now, here's the good news about this, though. That when we do the work, the fire burns. And God's desire is that the fire still burn in the heart of every one of His people and that there be a fire in the church that is contagious that changes this world for the cause of Christ. But it does take some work. And it takes humility. It takes being willing to do the things like taking out the trash and taking out the ashes, and getting your hands dirty, and your feet dirty, and your clothes dirty, and doing the work, if you will, that everybody else doesn't necessarily want to do. Most of the time when we read these passages, we see them the same way that most people see ministry. We see the fire. We see the great position of the priest. But somehow, some way, we're blinded to all the work that these priests had to do. And I've seen men desire positions because they want the, the, uh, the grandeur of everybody's praise and they like the lights and they want everybody's approval. But when it comes right down to it, they don't want to do the work that it takes to get there. They don't want to do the, they want other people to move the ashes. They want other people to take out the trash. They want somebody else to scrub the toilets. They want somebody else to pick up the trash off the floor. And they see themselves as above that. Now, I want you to listen to me closely this morning. From a spiritual point of view, from the sight of God, you'll never have the real fire of the Spirit of God moving in your life and being a change agent in you and through you until you'll first humble yourself before God. Just because somebody has a big ministry doesn't mean that God's using them. Just because a church is doing well and we are no exception to the rule, friends. Just because a church is doing well. Just because people are coming in. Just because the crowds are setting world records if you got a flyer in the mail lately. Just because crowds are setting world records doesn't mean the fire of God is in the place and that lives are being touched and changed. It still takes the fire of God. And it starts with humility. It starts with being willing to do the work. 
that nobody else is willing to do. The smell of the smoke being around it all day long. Can you just picture with me the multitudes of blood? I mean, this is... This is so different from how we know church. And it should be, thank God, because of the finished work of the cross. But it would do us well to have a true understanding of what it used to be like before Christ came and did what He did for you and I. Think of the blood everywhere. Animals slaughtered. I wonder how many of those animals fought being pulled all the way there by their masters. And the smoke, and the smell of the smoke, and the heat of the fire, all of it, when none of it, none of it is pleasing to the eye. But it's a picture to us of what Christ would have to go through. It's a picture to us of how horrible sin really is in the sight of God. If we would stare at that picture for for hours and we would watch lamb after lamb come in and bull after bull come in and the slaughtering of the lambs and the slaughtering of the bull and the cutting them to pieces and the priest doing their work and the priest putting their offerings on the fire and then the priest taking the ashes out and this is going on over and over and over again. We'd begin to get a picture of how wicked our sin really is and what really needs to happen that it might be atoned for that we can come to God and we'd quit skirting around sin and treating it like it's just a simple old mistake. Oh, brother so-and-so, this is his sin. And sister so-and-so, this is her sin. And I've got mine and you've got yours. And we just excuse sin in the church. And we don't preach on it anymore. And we don't flee from it. And we don't see it as the wicked thing that it really is. That separates us from God and hung our Savior on that cross. There was the smell, the smoke, the lack of sleep, the dirty work. If you're ever going to have the fire of God really burn in your life, and church, if we as a church are going to have the fire of God continue to move in us and through us, we're going to have to be a humble people. The priest also had to be holy. Holiness was a requirement. They had to wear holy attire. They had to live holy lives. You know, holiness is still necessary. Even the New Testament tells us to be holy as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was holy. Be holy as I am holy. You know what that word holy means? It means other than. It means there's there's really nothing to compare it to. See, God is holy because there's none like Him. Who do you compare God to? There's nothing you can compare God to. There's not another God out there that can kind of help us measure our God. There's not another measuring stick out there that can help us tell us how big He is. There is none other than Him. He is holy, perfect, without spot, without blemish. He is unmeasurable. He is different than every other thing in this world. Now, you and I have been called to be holy. Can I tell you this morning as I'm preaching, and I pray that God right now as I say this will help you to see this and trust my heart. Sometimes when I preach hard like this, it feels like I'm coming down on you, and I'm not. But here's the thing. Thank God for the grace of God, and thank God that when I fall flat on my face, 
His grace is still sufficient. Thank God that whether or not I am perfect and whether or not I live that perfect holy life to the best of my ability, His grace is sufficient. I thank God for that. And this morning I'm going to say that. But you need to know something. If you are wanting to sit in a place that is okay and satisfied with the mundane, everyday, average Christian life that the rest of this world sees, that does very little for the cause of Christ, that has no changing power in it, you're in the wrong place. My desire is that you be a place, you personally, that you are a person, a place where God can move in and through, that the fire of God moves in so strong and so thick that you change your family, you change your environment, you change your workplace. My desire is that we be a people of God that make a difference for the cause of Christ. And we must know this morning, we cannot be that people if we are not pursuing humble and holy lives. There is a cost for the fire. It costs something. It doesn't just come by me folding my arms and saying, God, if you want to use me, then use me. God says, are you foolish? I've already told you that you were created by me and for me. I've already told you I want to use you. You were created for a purpose. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. God does want to use you. You don't need Him to tell you that. He already has in His Word. We just don't want to do the dirty work. I don't want to commit to praying. I don't want to commit to reading. I don't want to commit to being faithful to church. I don't want to commit to turning away from my sins. I don't want to commit to running with the wrong crowd. I just want God to bless me because I don't want to go to hell and I want to go to heaven. This is the attitude of a lot of people in church. And we wonder why there's no power. We wonder why there's no fire anymore. We read of the, st- the stories of old and we read of the, the great awakenings of the old and, and we read of the, uh, the John Whitfields and, and, and uh, the Charles Spurgeons and these, and these great men of God that, that have preached and there was just revival everywhere they were. We think, God, we want the same thing. You read the lives of those men and those women and you'll find that they were people of prayer. They were people who were committed to living a holy life. They were people who weren't afraid to serve and get their hands dirty and get their feet dirty. And in their serving and in their humbleness and in their holiness as they sought the face of God, God answered their prayers. I'm talking to you this morning about a fire that changes. From the perspective of the priest, they needed to be humble. And their service was humble. They needed to be holy. And they needed to serve. If you're not willing to serve, the fire will never really burn in through you. You have to be willing to serve people. Jesus was a servant. Jesus came as a servant and He lived that life. Now, you've got to be humble. You have to be holy. You've got to be willing to serve. I want you to notice something. This divine fire was humanly maintained. The divine fire was humanly maintained. The fire was God's idea. Fire has always represented throughout the the Word of God the, the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the fire that when the offering was laid upon, it would lift it up to God. The fire was a divine fire. But it was humanly maintained. 
In other words, we have a responsibility to maintain the fire. Now, I can't say it any clearer than this. If your fire has burned out, it's nobody's fault but your own. It's not my fault. It's not your wife's fault. It's not your husband's fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not the singer's fault. Nobody can maintain the fire in your life but you. It's your fault if it's burnt out, if it's dwindled down. You forgot to take the ashes out. You forgot to put wood on. How many of you, and I don't want to show of hands, I am trying to preach this morning, though, to your spirit, something that resonates, that God opens up the eyes of your heart and you see, wow, here's the problem. How many of you honestly expect me, no show of hands, but in some ways you expect me to maintain your fire? Some mornings you leave and you think, that was awesome, that's what I needed for the week. And some mornings you leave and you think, hope I can make it another week after that lame duck message. Hey, it's not my responsibility to maintain your fire. I will tell you this, church is important though. And I'm not going to over-spiritualize this morning what the wood represents. But I will tell you this. It's a no-brainer. You don't even have to have a, be a Boy Scout to know this much. If you quit putting wood on the fire, it will quit burning. This happens with a lot of people. They have an experience with God. And they're just on fire for God. They want the whole world to know about God. They, they want their whole family to get saved. They can't do anything but think about God and talk about God. And they know this is going to be forever. I will never go back to the old way. I will never burn out. How could you after an experience like this? Just quit putting wood on, that's how. Try to live off yesterday's fire. Try to live off last week's fire. I know churches, and I'm not cutting them down, I'm really not, but I'm trying to make an honest point. I know churches that still talk about the revival in 1960. That used to be the time. There used to be a time when God really moved in this place. What happened? Why are you still talking about what happened 40 years ago? Why not throw some wood on the fire today? Why not be honest and take the advice of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 and repent of your sins, humble yourself, fall on your face before God, ask God to forgive you for your wickedness and repent and turn from your wicked ways and follow Him and see if revival comes. Now here's the thing this morning. I want to deal with this on an individual basis because I'm not really dealing with this as a church as a whole this morning. What does your home look like, sir, ma'am? Is it a home that is on fire for God? Is it really? And if not, why not? God's desire is that it is. God's desire is that we burn so bright for Him in everything that we do that we are change agents for the cause of Christ. That's His desire. 
I know you still got to work. I know you still got to have a job. I know you still got to have income. I know you still have to go to the doctor. I know you still have to do the things that life brings. But we should be able to do those things and still make a difference for the cause of Christ while we're doing them. If you don't put wood on the fire, it'll burn out. So how do I put wood on the fire, Pastor? I'm, again, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I'll tell you this. I have noticed this one thing in ten years. The more that people are willing to do for the cause of Christ, the brighter they burn. And I pray that you hear my heart. Because I hesitate to even say this without coming across condemning, and I'm not. I want to help you. But if the only religion you've got is this Sunday morning service, your fire is not going to burn very bright. I'm not telling you you're not right with God. I'm not telling you that you're not saved. I'm not telling you that... But listen... I'm talking about burning bright. I'm talking about making a difference for God. Try some Sunday school. Try Sunday night service every now and then. Come Wednesdays. We do some different things during those services to try to educate you, teach you, allow you to get connected, allow you to to communicate with one another. But don't think that those services are enough either. You need to be praying every day. You need to be in the Word. You need to be doing personal Bible study. Here's my point in saying all this. The more that you put on the fire, the easier it's going to be for you to maintain it and allow it to burn. The first six years of my life as a Christian, before we started pastoring, and I'll be honest with you this morning, I did everything you could think of. Everything. I mean, I was at every prayer meeting. I was at every Wednesday night. I was at every Sunday. I was at every Sunday night. I was at every revival there was. And there were times when I left, like a lot of you do sometimes, think, well, that was a lame duck message. Could have stayed home today. But there were a lot of times when I came, the Spirit of God moved in that place and something moved in my soul. And it began to make me and mold me into the man of God that I am today. And I've learned that people that are willing to position themselves and be in as many places as they can, to do as much as they can to be fueling that flame, are people that generally burn most bright for Christ. Just telling you what I've learned. Ten years of, of, of my Christian life watching people. The fire needs to burn. And it needs to burn continually. There is never a time that the fire can burn out. But it is humanly maintained. It's our responsibility to maintain it. And when we don't take out the ashes, and when we don't maintain the fire, it begins to burn out. Also notice there's no such thing as an old fire. There's not. An old fire is coals. That's what an old fire is. There's no such thing. It's impossible to have an old fire. Every fire that's ever existed from the beginning of time was a new fire. And when it died, it wasn't an old fire. It was no fire at all. The fire must be continually burning. It represents to us the newness of life that we have every day. This is why you can't live on last year's experiences. I cannot stress enough, and I hope I'm not beating a dead horse. I'll stop and I'll move on after I say this. But I cannot stress enough, you need to make your relationship with God new every day. 
It is something that must be maintained every day. You need to be in prayer. You need to have good, solid Christian relationships. You need to be connected with the church. It takes that continual. And it's what God's desire is for us. That way we continually pursue Him. What would your relationship look like with your spouse if you got married and you never talked again? But many of us, this is how we see our relationship with God. It's a one-time thing. We say a prayer and we go about our business and hopefully one day we spend eternity in heaven with a God that we hardly even know, that we've hardly even ever spoken to. It's insane. And we wonder why there's no fire in the church. Because the fire comes from heaven. Now let me say this. A few chapters later, Leviticus chapter 10, there is strange fire. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. There is strange fire. There's fire that's not of God. <clears throat> and we see that in Leviticus chapter 10. There are people and there are ministries that when there is no fire, they create false fire. And God deals with that. I believe two things have happened to the church. Is amazing. I've got a million thoughts and I just want to do my best to communicate them. I believe there are two things that have happened that have stripped the church of its fire. And let me say, without any hesitation, without any apologies, we still need the fire of God in the church. Intellect is not enough. Great homiletical sermons of perfect magnitude with great points that everybody can memorize in and of themselves are not enough. We still need the fire of God in the church of God. Amen. And when the fire is stripped away and all that we're left with is our intellect and our intelligence, Satan wins. And he has stripped away the fire from the church. If you don't think so, then explain to me why 80% of 18-year-olds leave the church when they turn 18, never to return. Why? In a study about 10 years ago, in the Southern Baptist denomination, which is one of my favorite denominations, in the Southern Baptist denomination, 90%, 90%, if you don't know your percentages, that's 9 out of 10. 90% of people who made a profession of faith and got saved were not even in the church a year later. How many of you want to go to heaven? 
Okay? Now, <clears throat> I won't go there. It's real easy to ask people if you want to go to heaven. Yes, I do. Well, then say a little prayer after me. Now you're saved. Praise the Lord. No fire, no change. It's false. It's of the devil. And it makes God want to vomit. It's lukewarm. It's lukewarm. It's what we've become. There's no fire anymore. Often you get fired up. And I don't mean angry in the flesh. I mean fired up in your spirit. This isn't right. When you hear about certain things our nation is doing. When you hear about certain things people in your own family might be doing that are absolutely not of God. We become so desensitized to what is evil in this nation. Now, we must have the fire. I said there's two things I believe that have happened that have stripped the fire away from the church. The first one is we simply don't want the work. We are a lazy people. We live in a generation where we want something for nothing. We want it all right now and then we want to pay for it later. That's the way we do it. And it creeps into our relationship with God. God, I'll do all the work for your power and for your anointing that I might be a fire-filled spirit child of God that makes a difference in this world. I'll do all that, but I want you to make me that now. And once you do, I'll pay you back on the other end. That's how I got my house, how I got my car, how I got my clothes, how I got my TV, how I got everything. That's the society that we live in. We want it now, and we don't want to pay for it till later. And we're lazy. I'd be lying to you if I told you you can... Live in the fire and the power of God by being a lazy Christian. Because you can't. It does take some work. And I believe that's one of the ways. One of the ways it's been stripped away. But here's the other. False fire. I'm going to preach on this for just a moment. When the fire left the church, people started leaving the church. Rightly so. And then nations started realizing, whoa, we're losing people. So they began to create false fire, just like these priests did. It looked real similar, but something about it just didn't sound right. That ain't right. Something seemed phony. Something seemed fake. All of a sudden, people were getting hurt. People were doing crazy things. People were doing stupid things. Church all of a sudden become a, a, a zoo. And there came a time when a large handful of God's people stood up and they just, they just looked at it and said, that's false fire. We're done with that. And we don't want anything that looks like that at all. And when the real fire come, they say, put it out. I'd rather have no fire at all than to even give a chance that something phony might happen. Not me. I'd rather clean up a mess and stand around looking at you the rest of my life wondering what would have happened if we would have got serious about God and let the fire of God burn in our lives and in our church. But you know this. God deals with false fire. God dealt with it. It wasn't that no one else even had to deal with it. God dealt with it right then. And it's... We don't have to worry about false fire. We don't have to worry about dealing with it. God will deal with false fire. But I believe that's one of the ways that the devil has tricked us into being so empty of passion and fire and and just Spirit-filled people that are led by God. We're so terrified of being tagged with all the lunatics. Jesus freaks. People will accuse us of being so... Heavenly mind, word, no earthly good. But believe me, brethren, that's not our problem. That's not our problem. This morning as our worship team comes, where's your fire at today?
Really. And as a royal priesthood church, people who have the responsibility of helping bring others in a relationship with God through the life we live and the words we speak. What's your flame really look like? We need to be a people who burn for God. And maybe this morning, if you're honest with yourself, you just say, my flame, it's not what it should be. It's not. Burn out. I want to encourage you not to waste another day of your life trying to figure out what went wrong back then, what happened back there, how'd that water get doused on my fire. And I just want you to let that go and trust that God has the ability to strike that fire up if you're willing to take out the ashes and do the work it takes to keep the fire going. God wants to use you. And church, God wants to use us. Maybe you're here this morning And if you're honest with yourself, you say, Preacher, I can't really say that I've ever had a fire for God. I can't ever say that I've really known Him. I've known about Him. I can tell you the Bible stories. But I can't say that that, that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that today, this day, right now, if I never had another day, if I laid my head down to sleep tonight and I never did wake up, I can't tell you that I'd go to heaven because I've never really turned to Him. I've never really repented of my sins and I've never asked for forgiveness. If that's you, friend, today is your day. It is your day. Whether you believe it or not. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. You're not promised tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your day. But will you come? Jesus stands with arms wide open. He says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Come. The offer stands today. Will you come? All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would move in this place. God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to deal with the heart of the Christian. And God, that this morning, through the loving way that you can do so much better than I, would you speak to our spirits right now, to our hearts, Lord, and let us know. Your desire is simply to use us. That's what this is about. But to be used, we need the fire. We need the fire. It's not always going to look the same in every person. But God, let us be honest before you this morning. Do we have a fire for you? God, does it really need to burn brighter? Do we need to put more wood on it? Do we need to take out the ashes? Are we honestly maintaining it? God, this morning, speak to your people all across this room. God's dealing with your heart. Won't you come this morning?